Now, do you know what the difference between being an entrepreneur is and being a dreamer? Entrepreneurs go out and execute the dreams. And so if you're afraid of venture capitalists, you're going to fail because they're out there. You're going to need their money. They're money grocers. Their job is to, they have a grocery store full of money and they need to deploy their money. So if you're afraid of them, you're going to fail. Okay. If everyone's going to steal from you, you're going to fail. If you're confident that you can execute faster, because it's really about execution, because there's, there's bucket lists of ideas out there. It's, can you execute the idea? What's up, everyone? This is your host, Ankit, and you're listening to the Forcepreneur Podcast. On this show, I talk to founders of profitable Salesforce companies and try to get a sense of what it is to be an entrepreneur in the Salesforce cosmos. How did it all start? And how was the journey until now? How do they make decisions both in professional and personal life? Our goal here is to learn from their examples so that the rest of us can go on and build our own profitable Salesforce businesses. My guest today is another Salesforce OG and a serial entrepreneur. He has been a customer and evangelist since 2010. His last venture, Job Science, was one of the first five ISVs when the App Exchange launched, and he sold Job Science to Bullhorn in 2018. Currently, he's the Chief Executive Officer of Copado. Hello, Ted. Welcome to the show. Hey, how are you? How's it going? It's good. It's quite cold in Berlin, like minus one degrees. And so just know, how about you? Uh, well, I uh, I woke up this morning and uh, I was like, well, uh, it's a nice day in San Francisco. The sun's coming up, no earthquakes. It's uh, it's feeling like uh, everything's solid. Right. So tell us about yourself. So job science, just quickly take us through job science. Yeah. Uh, job science was a company I started with my sister in 2000. Uh, and for the first 10 years of the business, um, we were building recruitment software for hospitals in the United States. I got really tired of um, my programmers pushing code and breaking things. And so in about 2006, Salesforce launched something called uh, Multiforce, and, uh, which was, became the App Exchange. And I reached out to a guy named George Hu, who's now the CEO of Zora, who was the chief marketing officer at Salesforce, and said, I'd really like to build on this. And he's like, oh, that sounds like a great idea. But and the problem was the price per seat. They want $25 per user to build on Salesforce. And I'm like, I can't ask candidates who apply for jobs to pay $25 for, for the privilege of applying for a job. And so it took us a little work, about three or four years, to come up with a model with Salesforce that would work. Um, and we started building software uh, and selling it in about 2010. And from 2010 to 2018, we took that business from about zero to a little over $22 million in revenue without any new investment being put in. And it was because we were proving that you could do something completely different on Salesforce. Um, so that's that's how I got into this, um, first as a customer, and then as a user, and then finally as an entrepreneur. Nice. So, of course, $25 in 2006 is much more than $25 like today. So... Take me back to 2006 and to the first app launch. Like, were you one of the first to come on the ISV? Yeah. So literally, uh, Multiforce gets released and they tell customers that they can download 20 apps without it breaking. And I go on there and I try and download every app. And every app they originally had was an internal app Salesforce was using internally in Salesforce, right? Right. So these were all Salesforce-made app. This was not like an ISV thingy. That's right. And so... So I go on and I try and download all the apps and I run out of tabs and I run out of objects 
And the next morning I call up Salesforce and say, I would like to have more tabs and objects. Can I have that? And they said, well, how many would you like? And I'm like, unlimited. <laughs> and they said, well, that's crazy. We have this unlimited edition where you can have 99,999 tabs and you know more objects than you could throw a stick at. So I was like, great, how much? And I got that and we started using it internally. And all of a sudden I said, you know, I think if you can do this with Salesforce, then you're going to be able to build recruitment software on Salesforce. So then I called up and I talked to, to um, Teen and I'm like, you know, I have been tracking Taleo and they just built a company called Recruit Force. So they acquired a company and I'm looking through their manual and it looks like it's an exact copy of Salesforce. Why not build it on Salesforce? Right. And he's like, yeah, they're using our name Force. I'm like, no, no, no. they've literally copied your data model and they're doing the exact same thing over there. Why don't, why don't you, and he goes, great. Well, do you, how do you want to do it? And I'm like, well, I think we should build an app on your, you know, platform. And David Brooks uh, and the team was working on packaging. And so they said, yeah, here's how you package an app. And here's how you'll be able to introduce it to the app exchange. And that's how job science came to be. Um, I literally hired one developer um, to work on Apex while I built the data model for the job board. It was a disaster. I was just going to ask, do you have a technical background? Because it looks like you have a no. business background. No. In fact, uh, when I took my personality assessment, it said the last thing I should do is be a coder. Um, and so, but I, I knew the business challenge. And, and, you know, the great thing about Salesforce is that if you understand the business challenge, you can build the application, the objects, the tables pretty easily. It's that last, you know, five yards of lifting versus before Salesforce, we were working in cold fusion. And we were completely dependent on the developers understanding what we were trying to explain to them. And, and then they controlled everything and we were at their behest. And then when they break stuff, you couldn't do anything about it. That's where the time when we were the kings. I'm a developer first and then I'm doing everything else. So, yeah, interesting. Um, and you also did a lot of name dropping. So I believe you are very well connected in the Salesforce ecosystem. Is that a benefit of being in San Francisco? Uh, you know, I think it's a benefit of having done this for, uh, I don't know, it's now I'm in like my 15th year of working with Salesforce or 16th year. Right. Um, I don't think it's, I, yeah, does it help to be in San Francisco? Yeah, certainly. It, it does not, you know, I've always set up my office to be across the street from Salesforce so that I could run into people from Salesforce. I always thought it was a little a little stocky to get an office in the same building. So you, you kind of wanted to be across the street so you'd see them at a restaurant or at lunch. But that's all changed. Um, it's a much bigger company now. You can't look for those uh, breadcrumbs. So I'm not sure being in San Francisco matters as much, especially during a pandemic. Uh, it may not be the advantage it once was. Is your office uh, next to the building? And tell us about your new venture. Yeah, so um, I joined Capado uh, about two years ago, um, literally six months after I sold Job Science, and and so yeah, we um, we set up an office here. We set up an office in Chicago, literally in the WeWork that was in the Salesforce building. Uh, we set up one across from the Shard in London, uh, and then we have one in uh, Madrid now. Because of COVID, we made a decision almost a year ago. I shut all the offices. Okay. So we have no offices. Everyone's working from home, and it's really working out great. I did move to San Francisco. I used to live in Tiburon. And, and so now I live in San Francisco, but I'm not, I don't think I've been downtown for 10 months. Um, but yeah, so um, uh, we've got, we've gone from three, 30 people at Capado to 240 
in the last uh, 24 months, and it's been quite a ride, um, a different ride than job science. Right. So for the uninitiated and people who don't know, which I don't think anybody would be, tell us what is Copado all about? Copado is about making release days obsolete. And what that really means is um, if you've ever been up until three in the morning the night before a release, knowing that something is broken uh, and that everyone's going to wake up at 8 a.m. and be very angry because nothing's working and you're going to be on the phone for at least two or three days explaining to your customers that it's all gone wrong. Our job is to make sure that doesn't happen anymore. Interesting. And I must say you're doing a pretty good job at that. I mean, looking at just Copado being just a very, you know, nascent company, like it's like if you look at the age, it's only two and a half years, but it's pretty much known. Like I know in Berlin community, it's pretty known. And you guys are not spending that much on marketing, let's call it like that. So the product is speaking for itself. Or are you? Well, you know, we've raised $100 million in the last two years. Um, and what took me uh, four years from a revenue or five years, maybe even six years from a revenue perspective, we've done in about eight months. So, I mean, we've taken the company from four and a half million that will end this year at 30. I think uh, we're going to announce some other things that will get us to 40 million by the end of the first quarter of next year. So the speed of growth of Capado has been amazing. And I think it, it really comes down to the fact that the community the ecosystem of Salesforce needs this tooling. Um, and um, Salesforce has gotten so much bigger than when I first got involved in the ecosystem. And the size and scale of the users and the type of people who are using Salesforce has changed so radically that um, the Capato is really at finding a niche 20 years in to Salesforce, which is kind of amazing in itself. Right, right, right. Yeah, I've been in the ecosystem since, let's say, 2011, 2012. And in the last 10 years, I have seen the growth. And it's like, you know, like Salesforce was, it was not a startup back then, too, it was listed. But now it's like this huge behemoth with offices all around and, you know, like, I don't know, tens of thousands of people working there. I still don't think people get it. Yeah, I, I still don't think people who are outside of the Salesforce ecosystem understand what's going on. I'll just give you a, a quick analogy. Sure. The, the United States between uh, 1790 and 1830 went through the first industrial revolution, right? right. And uh, think about people cobbling shoes together and making sweaters by hand and, and, and all this nonsense. And they moved to factories. And I think what we're seeing with Salesforce under the name Salesforce and, and what's going on generally in software is we're going from craftsmen who used to handcraft code to low code. And in doing that, you have to figure out how to do that industrial scale. And that's what we're kind of experiencing the beginning of. And Salesforce is sort of leading that charge. And I don't think anyone would have expected Salesforce would lead that charge, but that's kind of what's happening. Right, right, right. So Copado, as I believe, was not started by you. Who was it started by? Uh, do you know the guys and how do you work together? What's the, what's the equation and what's the constellation like right now? Yeah, so the two founders of Capado uh, met each other in Madrid. Uh, one was a program architect and the other one was a coder and they were doing Viva deployments, um, which is one of the ISVs that decided not to use packaging mm -hmm. and they were doing multiple countries and they were doing, everything was blowing up. It was a disaster. They were like, oh my God, I can't believe we got on this project. We need to build something so this doesn't keep blowing up, right? So they ended up building automation so that when they were pushing code into multiple instances, it would work. And if it didn't work, they could roll it back and they could track who pushed what and what was going on. And that is really where Capado came from was this need to do multinational large scale deployments to Salesforce without it blowing up. Now, the two of them uh, ran that business first as a consultancy, 
then as a product, um, and they had a profitable business. And when they came to San Francisco in 2018, and we went to dinner, um, two of my friends from uh, Code Science and Octana introduced us, and we all sat at dinner. I asked them a question that Tim Campos, who had been the CIO at Facebook, um, asked me, which is, how can Salesforce be a real development platform if you can't do six releases in a day? And um, and I was like, yeah, how, how can this be real? And they're like, no, no, we solve that. I'm like, well, how, how are you solving that? And they walked me through how they build guardrails and process and systems for rollback and keeping sandboxes in sync. I mean, I can't tell you how many customer calls I've had to take from customers who didn't keep their sandbox in sync with their production environment where they would call me up and be like, I don't know why this is broken. It's your fault. And it's like, no, no, it's not our fault. It's because you don't know how to release Salesforce. Now, it's very hard to tell people that they don't know what they're doing, right? That's the big challenge right, of Capato. Right. We can't call a company up and say, hey, I'm just calling because I heard you don't know what you're doing. And if you just follow this process, you'll be successful. So instead, we're trying to educate people and teach them how do you do it right. And if you want to use our tools, that's fine. But we're really about a methodology and a, and a teaching people. So I don't know if you know Andrew Davis, who wrote the book yeah. on DevOps and Salesforce, but he's on our team. And David Brooks, who is the original VP of product at Salesforce, who built packaging, is our VP, is SVP of product. And so what I did when I came in is I said to the guys, I'm like, listen, I know a lot of people. I'm a recruiter um, by nature. Uh, that's my first job through the paid my law school was being a recruiter. I'm like, let me recruit the best people. And so I just started calling the best people and saying, hey, do you want to come on board? This is the mission. This is what we're all about. And they all love Salesforce. They all love Salesforce. They love how it does things for the ecosystem. And they want to be part of that. Right. You also snatched recently Robert Sussman. I don't know if you know him. He's responsible for Apex PMD, the static analyzer. Yeah, yeah, no, I know Robert. I, yeah, I, um, I, I interview everybody who we hire to see if they believe in our mission and our four core values at Capato. Um, and if they believe in our values and they believe in our mission, then I think they're right for us. And, and since we've, you know, grown from 30 to 243 people in less than 24 months, um, that, that can be a real challenge. Right, right, right. So um, how are you funded? So you told me you just raised 100 million in funding and you are also an investor in Copado, right? Uh, so how is the funding looking like and how's your revenue looking like? Are you guys on target or you? I think you're hitting above your targets? Yeah, usually to raise $100 million, you got to be doing something. You're either really good at BSing people or, or you're doing something. We are overachieving our targets. Um, COVID did not slow us down. COVID drove people to the concept of digital transformation needs to happen faster. And when you're doing digital transformation at the speed of light, you need to have Capato um, so things don't break. So that was a real impetus. We thought last year uh, that we would do about $25 million. Mm. In ARR, we'll probably end up doing about 30 Nice. Um, and we just raised in, I think, December, uh, an additional 50 million of primary uh, capital. Um, so we we're, were well capitalized. We didn't need the money. But I was like, hey, conditions seem good. Let's go. There's something called Rathman's Law, which is from the founder of Amgen, where he said, whenever the window's open, you should go try and take the money. Um, and so, so we've done that. And that's really empowering us to go out and go faster. Can you give us a good number on what's your year-on-year -year growth? So 30% or even uh, It's more? over over 100%. And the year before, so the year before it was over 100%. So that's two years of 100%, 100%. And we're going for our third year of 100%. 
more power to you. So then the obvious question comes, as you said, you know, how do you ensure that the values remain intact? How do you ensure that the ship and everybody's motivated and going? Because that's explosive growth, like 100% is like almost doubling every year, you know, and then 100% carry forward is like double of what you did last time. So how do you ensure the values remain intact? It's really important to have a mission you believe in um, and to keep it simple. Um, we started off um, with Rip Gerber, who was the CMO of Velocity and one of our board members saying, you need to define your four core values. I didn't say four, but he said, define your core values. Yeah. And he came up with something called COPA, mm -hmm. uh, which are the four core values of Capato. Customer success comes first, always over deliver, people are the code and always build trust. And so those are the four values that we interview for, we look for. And I like to tell people, so last year, actually my first year at Capado, three months into it, um, I was diagnosed with uh, stage three advanced rectal cancer um, and told that I was going to maybe not be here. And so all of a sudden, when you face a moment when you may not be here anymore, because we're all going to go at some point. Yeah. Some of us are getting the memo, right? Yeah. So when you when you think you're not going to be around anymore, you have to decide what's really important to you. Mm -hmm. And, and kind of what I decided was I want to work with people who I really like, who have a common vision, and I'm not going to worry about the money. I'm not going to worry about the revenue. I'm not going to worry about any of that stuff. I'm going to have a good time. And if I don't think I can do it anymore, I will stop. But you have two choices in life, A, live, B, die, right? So which one it's going to be? And if you can simplify your choices, it makes life a little easier. Right. Nice. That was absolutely great. Uh, I got this advice from Richard Parker. I met him at Amsterdam at Your Dreaming, and I was talking about my startup. And he was like, I just want to give you one tip. Hire people that you like to work with. You don't want to work with people whom you don't like because then you have to go to the office and then it'll not be fun. So ensure that you don't miss that fun part. Yeah, yeah. There are two things you don't get back in life, um, your time and your reputation, Yeah. right? And so uh, you want to make, uh, when I interview people, I try and discourage them to, from working her. Okay. I'm like, hey, if this is, if you make the wrong choice, I'm like, I'm going to be fine. As long as I'm breathing air and not dirt, it's a great day for Ted Elliott, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and so, so I said, but I'm already at a stage in my life where being successful again is not really, I do this because I'm having fun doing it, right? And, and so um, I try and talk to people and say, is this really the right move for you? Are you willing to work 18 hour days? Are you willing to, you know, do you believe in what we're doing? If you don't, don't come here. I actually ask people to go to Trailhead and take the two Capado trails. We're one of the few partners of Salesforce that actually has our own Capado trail. And I'm like, take the Capado trail. And if it makes no sense to you, please do not come work here. And they're like, what? No one's ever said that in an interview to us. I'm like, hey, I'm like, I don't want to screw up your life. I don't want to carry that that burden. So I think it's really important that you like people you work with. Nice. Interesting. So um, I have another question because you said that you are hiring people all across the world. Now, I also want to understand this as an entrepreneur because you just said 18 hours a day. As motivation, it's right. But by law in Germany, you cannot basically make do that. Germans are very strict about their labor laws. And Germany, it's like important to give... 30 days of vacation, which is not in the US. How does that work? And then UK, I think, has different. So how do you manage that? 
Well, I guess that's one of the reasons the United States is always going to be the center of entrepreneurism, right? Because we don't have rules for for how many hours you can work. Now, I'm working 24 hours a day because I'm always thinking about Capado and I'm always thinking about what we're doing. Um, I'm not asking people to go cobble for 18 hours in a meaningless task. I'm just saying, are you prepared to, like, there are two choices in life. Do you live to work or do you work to live, right? If you work to live, probably Capado is not right for you. If you live live for work and you're like, I love this. This is the journey. See, I'm a big believer of the journey, right? Yeah. And I don't need a government to dictate to me how I should spend my time. I'm on this journey to go create. Um, and, and I'm looking for people who want to be on that same journey and go create big things. And it doesn't have a clock associated with it. It has a spirit. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, but, um, but yeah, certainly, Certainly, um, we respect all local laws, uh, and uh, we're not asking people to do anything they shouldn't be doing. We're just asking them to have an attitude of, of do you want to go build great things? Yeah, that's important. As I said, I am also a believer in the journey, and my last startup where I was the technical guy, like it was four people, I don't want to call myself a CTO, sounds very you know, boisterous. And this time I was like, well, I've done that before, I want to take this new ride, and that's why now I said, okay, I'm going to take the founder one. Um, one important question for like company like Copado, I also asked Elements and Speckit, how are your relationship with Salesforce product and how do you ensure you are not tiptoeing or protecting yourself again if let's say Salesforce tomorrow comes up with their own solution, so to say? I'll give you the same advice that George Hu and probably five or six other people at Salesforce have given me over the last decade or so. Yeah. Always be innovating. Do not rely on Salesforce to do anything for you. Um, do stuff for Salesforce. Um, Frank Van Veendahl, who was um, uh, president of Salesforce probably 15 years ago. I remember in an ISV session, someone said, how can we get Salesforce to drive us more business? He's like, there's a simple answer, drive Salesforce more business. And, and so I think as long as you're not, you know, listen, Salesforce is smart and if they see a good idea, they're gonna try and copy it. Yeah. Okay, it, it's that simple. But if you're always out innovating them and you're running faster, yeah. at some point there's reasons why Conga, and all these other companies that everyone, yeah, everything that is in the Salesforce ecosystem is something Salesforce could have done. Yeah. But can they go as fast and can they be as passionate and they, can they do it like you do it? And the reason Mark always wins is that he's got a competition going on. And if you're afraid of competition, don't come to Salesforce if you're looking to be protected. Look at, sale, at Salesforce if you're looking to compete. Nice, nice. That's golden advice for me this episode. Now, we were talking about your marketing a little, How and I see Copado sponsoring a lot of local events. I am a Berlin Salesforce developer group leader. I have received email from somebody, I don't remember the name, I'm sorry. Uh, they said that we want to sponsor the user group, and then we kind of went virtual, so it didn't happen. But uh, how are your relationships with uh, local Ohana? Because I think that's also a very important part of promoting a business, especially young companies, you know, going to the local, uh, like developer groups or admin groups and, you know, not just there selling your product, but basically just sponsoring them and showing what can be done. Uh, how important is that according to you for somebody who's starting? I think it's really important. Um, and it's very expensive. Um, and it takes a lot of effort and it can be exhausting. Um, but um, you know, I don't know if you've read uh, Mark's book, Into the Cloud, but he talks about using nonprofits mm -hmm. as a great testing ground mm -hmm. because they'll be really honest with you and they'll also appreciate you helping them. So it's kind of a buy, 
directional sort of feedback loop. Yeah. Um, I, I always recommend that you start off with getting users who really need your help and see if you're actually helping them. And if you're not, you need to step back and say, is this actually working? Because it's possible to have a great idea that's not a great idea. Right. And the best way, and, and but it's really hard as an entrepreneur to come to grips with my idea is not as great as I thought it was. Yeah, right? yeah. The entrepreneurs have big, big ego. You know, we are known for this. That's right. Uh, but the ultimate test of um, of whether something works is, do people trust you? And I like to say the way that you can determine trust is how much money they're willing to spend with you. I call it trust dollars, right? And so um, I think when you go, you know, my view also is you can't sell people things. You need to show people things. And especially in the Salesforce ecosystem, if they see something they like, they will latch onto it and they will run with it. And you know you're really successful when your customers are out in front of you, not following you. Right. Yeah. And so I think when you go to these local groups um, and you talk to people who are passionate, I mean, they really get why you're in the ecosystem. They want to go faster. Right. right. They want to go faster. They don't want things to break. They want to change their businesses. These are the best laboratories to to talk about these ideas and expose people to. And if if some of them don't go with you, that's fine. Yeah. It's just but it's the best place to talk to people. So what is the future looking for Copado right now? Because you said you invest a lot. So I believe you have a huge marketing budget. Uh, what is the future looking for you? Like what, what are your plans in the next, I don't know, two, three years? Our plan uh, is pretty simple. Um, we are building uh, a company that will be larger than CA Technologies mm -hmm. um, for the cloud. Nice. Um, we are going to build uh, the next iteration of IT operation software uh, for the cloud. We're starting with Salesforce. We're going to move to other clouds. We're already uh, looking at other clouds because what's happening is Salesforce is integrating SAP and Workday and marketing AWS. stacks and all these things are they're all coming together. Okay, and as they come together, especially in enterprise software, um, you need to have common ways to test. You need to have common ways to code. You need to have common ways to delivery. Because what if I change a field in Salesforce? and it breaks my marketing stack? What if I change something on my website and it breaks my ERP? And all these systems have um, complex sort of, the reason they're low code is that some people have done an elegant job of the coding part. Um, and so we've got to have tools to managing that. So we believe Capado is going to basically go into that market by focusing on customer success and make sure that that we have high trust relationships with our customers and we can introduce to them additional products to solve their their overall devops problems and in doing so i think we can create a company that's a mulesoft octa size company um, not just for the salesforce ecosystem but for for low coders and developers all over the world um, and bring them together in a way that you're not seeing with GitLab or CircleCI or Jenkins. In a way, if you think of Salesforce almost like Linux, yep. I'll call it paid source instead of calling it open source. Nice. But if you look at Salesforce as paid source, I want to be the red hat of, of Salesforce, and then I want to go beyond that. That's kind of our, our dream and our vision. And we think that if we can get to $70 million, $80 million in revenue by the end of this upcoming year, so that will be within three years, going from four million to eighty million in revenue. That's a pretty good launching pad to go into SAP, 
other markets, um, and and I've, I'm talking to people in these markets all the time. They are having the exact same problems that we're having in Salesforce, except they're not moving at the pace Salesforce is moving because they're in shrinking ecosystems. Right. And we're in a thing. They're like in stars that are dying, and we're in stars that are expanding. Um, but but those universes are going to come together, and when they do, someone's going to need a guide to the galaxy and you want to and be that's there. where i want capata to be the guide to the galaxy nice. does that, that make sense of course i mean that's a very ambitious goal i must say and it looks too big but hey go big or go home and with the team that you have around you and talking to you now it is achievable you know and i'm also a firm believer on you know go big or go home and um in my bathroom i have a saying which says if you don't try you won't know so you have to try and you have to swing for it you know that's what i say to myself every day well, yeah. I mean, I realized um, after 12 rounds of chemo and a lot of radiation and four surgeries that there's got to be some reason why I'm here. And I don't have to necessarily understand what that reason is today, but every day I'm going to go try and use my time to make a difference and to do something big. And if it works out, that's great, but I'm not going, I'm not here to just survive or just to live incrementally. Go big or go home is, is, is really important. Nice, nice, nice. I was also thinking what more from the developer point of views, uh, what is Copado doing? So you are also coming up with your own certifications, like you have your own trails, you have your own certifications. And um, what else are you like, are you improving the tooling? And you also told me a little bit about education. I also believe many times as a freelancer, I also currently I work as a freelancer plus a founder, I have to still educate customers about flows, processes, automation, you know? So tell me a little bit more about what you're doing in that space. Yeah. Uh, so first off, um, we decided that Capato was really for enterprise users, companies that are spending more than a million dollars a year on Salesforce, maybe 500,000 at the lowest. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of money, right? Of course. Um, and, and we were like, the ecosystem needs something bigger than that because um, different people have different needs. So we ended up buying a company in Australia called Click Deploy. That was for everybody else, all the folks who aren't spending a you know million dollars with Salesforce, but still need some DevOps tooling. Uh, and in doing that, what we're looking at is what what help do you need at different levels in your journey, mm -hmm. right? Um, and our main focus is trying to teach people the five steps to DevOps Nirvana, which is how can you go fast and still produce quality, um, because that's that's the big challenge. You can go fast and throw quality out the window. But that will you'll pay later, right? Yeah. Um, and so, so I think we're on this mission to educate people as to what these stages of Nirvana are. We're into teaching people how to do it. We're into um, listening to the market to see well what are the toolings that you need uh, to do this. Um, we're hiring really smart people from the ecosystem that are telling us, hey, this is we're kind of doing what Salesforce tried to do internally, but is struggled with, right? I don't know if you saw, but Wade. Uh, yeah. Wagner just posted his Aloha, and um, and you know he was one of our board advisors, a really great guy. I think what we're trying to do is see how can we take the type of vision Wade had for the platform and and accelerate getting there. And sometimes, uh, as Elon Musk is showing the U.S. government, you can get to the moon faster outside of the government than inside of it. And so, if you think of Salesforce, we may be able to get people to that place they want to go just a little faster than than uh, going with the standard tooling. So slowly we are coming to the end. Tell me, what are your biggest challenges of running Copado as of right now and how are you overcoming them? 
Yeah, I think the biggest challenge for Capado is uh, the fact that people have now gone almost a year of not seeing each other. I mean, we've hired over 100 people that I've never met in person. Wow. I met them via Zoom. I actually think it's the great equalizer. So, so the thing is that someone in Bangalore or in Berlin or in San Francisco, we're all nodes now in the screen, and that makes us all equal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You don't have the office space where someone's by the water cooler and they're talking smack about someone else or whatever nonsense. So it's been like I, I call it the uh, the HR holiday, uh, in that we haven't dealt with it. The real challenge is going to be, you know, like I was on the line last night with our CFO, and he's like, "Well, should we go back? Should we go back to offices?" I'm like, "How about if we didn't? How radical would that be?" I'm like. I'm like, do we have a phone number or an office address? Because I'd like to get rid of them. And he's like, what? That's radical. And I'm like, no, that's awesome. Uh, and and so I think the challenge is, as you get bigger, how do you keep the spirit of the beast alive? I think that Mark Benioff has done a great job of this at Salesforce over the last you know 20 years. Of course. And and it's because he's always been really clear about what Salesforce is trying to do. Right. He's always been clear about communicating it. He over communicates it, but he stays on message. And so I think that's what we're going to try and do. And hopefully that works for us. Um, but but if we lose sense of our purpose, then all bets are off. Mm -hmm. But as long as we stay hyper focused, I think that's what we're going to do. And I think it, I think it's going to work. I mean, I've been last year was a lot tougher for me than this year. So um yeah, because, uh, you know, when I was at job science, I had to have my finger in everything. And I know this podcast is for entrepreneurs. Let me give you a big tip that I didn't realize until later, right? And it's, it really comes from the luxury of of not having the risk of failing, yeah. right? When you're entrepreneuring and it's yours and it's your baby, the risk of failure is something that will kill you. I know. Okay. Because you're always afraid of, if I fail, what will I do next? Mm -hmm. You need to leave your body and hover over your body from outside and say, it's going to be okay. Whatever happens, it's going to be okay, right? Once you can do that, then you don't need to have your finger in what everyone's doing. Because if you don't trust the people around you to do their job, you are going to fail, right? right? You can't will it to work. You can't, you don't, you control nothing, you can only influence things, right? Once you take ownership of that concept, then anything is possible. And if it doesn't work out, you tried. Well, as I said, like running a company is a team sport and you need to have the right people and empower them. And if you try to do everything, like if I, if you try to do marketing and customer service, and today a company has so many other engines moving, it's not just one thing, you know, you also cannot do, you are one human being. So I think that's a very good advice. Well, we were speaking of advice, so that would be the follow-on question. What would be, apart from this, do you have any other advice for budding forcepreneur people who are, you know, thinking of starting a Salesforce company yeah. Um, the other piece of advice is get on top of your financials and make sure that you understand what your CAC is, your ARR, what's your average sales price, who's your customer, what segment are they in. Do not think of these things as not important. They are as important as the code. And the reason they're important is if you go to raise money or someone comes to acquire you and it is a complete joke, we will walk away. I cannot tell you how many businesses I've looked at acquiring for Capado in the last 12 months where the financials are a mess. The cap table has 20 people who all put in $1,000. It is a mess. No one wants that. So you, you have to be hyper-focused on making sure that 
that you have very clean financials, that you don't think of it as an afterthought, that you understand your operating metrics. Um, and the more you can be on top of that. I mean, when I walked into Capato, everything was an Excel spreadsheet. It was a disaster. The, the first thing we did was spend months and months at getting the financials organized, trying to understand our business plan, writing down your business plan. I don't care if it's a one pager, writing down, this is what we're trying to do. This is why we're trying to do it. And here's how much money it's going to cost. And being, there's a book I love called Silicon Valley Way. It's out of print, but it, it has an appendix that walks you through all these Silicon Valley rules yeah. and says, if you think you're going to sell this amount, if you only sold 2% of that amount, is your business over? You know, uh, how many VCs have you spoken to? Like most people are like, oh, I don't want to go talk to investors until I'm really ready. Okay. But they're, use, think of investors as a sounding board for your business. And if they're not willing to invest, there might be something wrong with what you're trying to do. Right, right, right. Well, two things. Can you say the name of that book again? Because I was going to say, and if there's any other book uh, that you would suggest on this topic, because this is something that I am weak in and I would, I would definitely buy it. Yeah. So the book is called Silicon Valley Way. Mm -hmm. Hopefully you can find it on Amazon in like a stack. Uh, another book that I, I think I mentioned to you is Blue Ocean Strategy. Those right. are sort of two cornerstone books for me uh, right now. I also love listening to Reed Hoffman's Masters of Scale. Um, I think that's a, a really great podcast. And then the Wall Street Journal podcast. And if, if you have time to listen to that much content, then, then that's probably going to fill your bucket on a weekly basis. Right, right. So, and of course, now this new podcast <laughs> that you're doing, uh, it's, gonna thank add, you. it's now on my list. Thank you. Um, so one question, because now this is again a personal question. People are what I see here in Berlin or something is like people don't go to VCs because they have this underlying fear of what if they steal my idea and, you know, they have money, they might set up a different team. And my co-founder actually went to the VC and it didn't click. So the VC said, well, here you go. Um, we are going to set up our own shop. And I don't know if you know about Zalando or Rocket Internet Group. Um, they are known to copy American companies. And then, so they made Wonder Flats, which is basically a copy of Airbnb. They made Zalando, which is basically, which was supposed to be acquired by Amazon and eBay, but then Amazon and eBay came themselves here. So I personally think, I, I share my idea with everyone because I think what I bring to the table, first of all, it's a little bit like art, you know, what how I will run this company, nobody else can. And it's all in the execution, right? Like you can have the best idea. It's all in the execution, how you execute it. So if you're going to be an entrepreneur, I think you need to go to entrepreneur school. And the first thing you need to do is get some Doritos or some chips and sit down and watch every episode of Silicon Valley. And you need to watch it twice, right? Uh -huh. Um, I literally have quoted people. I didn't know we could take a lower valuation. I have lived every one of those episodes. VCs will steal your ideas if it's a great idea and you can't execute it. I, I The founders of Indeed, have you ever heard of Indeed? I remember going to dinner with those guys yeah, one yeah. night and saying, this is before this they, job site, right? Yeah, before they started Indeed. And I was with Ronnie, the founder, and I was like, you know, Ronnie, someone should just go buy a Google server and make this happen. Now, do you know what the difference between being an entrepreneur is and being a dreamer? Entrepreneurs go out and execute the dreams. And so if you're afraid of venture capitalists, you're going to fail because they're out there. You're going to need their money. They're money grocers. Their job is to, they have a grocery store full of money and they need to deploy their money. So if you're afraid of them, you're going to fail. Right. Okay. If everyone's going to steal from you, you're going to fail. If you're confident that you can execute faster, because it's really about execution, because there's a, there's bucket lists of ideas out there. It's can you execute the idea? Yeah. And so I, I think what you need to be focused on is time to market 
understanding that you're going to have to deal with people who might screw you over. But if you're running fast, like, dude, when you're running fast, you don't have to worry about someone stealing your ideas because the amount of time it takes them to get organized. I mean, Talent Rover copied us. They were a customer of ours. They stole our idea. They cost me about $50 million. Job science, Do you I mean, like right? Them? Yeah, yeah. When I was at job science, we had this customer that copied our code. I mean, literally, we sued them. We were the first lawsuit in the history of the App Exchange. Wow. Um, and they settled up with us. Mm-hmm. Um, but but they they cost us a ton of money, right? People are going to do that. But you know what they force us to do? They force us to be better. They force us to compete. They force us to justify what we're doing. There's a reason that why businesses copy you. They think you're not cutting it. Right. Right. They think you're not doing it right. So if you can't innovate faster, if you can't execute better, and they made our game much tighter, we would have never. So I used to say these guys cost me $50 million. They actually made me $50 million because without their, their competition, I wouldn't have been as good as I ended up being. Does that, that make sense? Of course, 100%, 100%. No, and as a, again, I also, because I also say it's all in the execution. And if you are executing it right, you know, they might copy you at this point, but if you keep moving fast, or as you said, if you keep innovating, then, you know, at some point you will stand out, you know, and it's the survival of the fittest. Quality never goes out of style. Yeah. Okay. That's my grandfather worked at Levi Strauss and that was their logo. Quality never goes out of style. And, and so what I would say is, be confident, execute, stay focused, have strong financials, run a top flight organization and never lose your reputation. See, one thing I will never lose is my reputation. People who steal from you and copy from you will have to have their own reckonance with whatever at some point. But but as long as you never lose your reputation, you're going to be fine. Right. I, we are coming to end and usually it's going about time, but I have a very good question for you one more. When is the right time for a startup founder to go to a VC? When you have a business plan and a financial model. Okay. And if you don't have a financial model that explains what, why you need the money and what you're going to do with it, don't blow your chance to raise capital. What about the product market fit, having those first customers? Some people say you need to have three to $5 million in revenue to have product market fit. I think that's a pretty big challenge. Um, I think that if it, what it, what we usually are looking at, or what people who I you know know in the space are looking at, are um, what's the rate of growth and what's the revenue retention. And if if you are winning a hundred customers and you're keeping ninety of them, and the business is growing at a hundred percent, then you've got magic. <laughs> then and you don't need to get to three to five million dollars in revenue. And those are the things people are looking for because all the risk at the beginning is, do, do these guys actually have something that works? And do the, will the customers vouch for it? Right. But from time frame, you cannot say, is it six months? Is it 12 months? It's when you have those numbers and you have you see a little light at the end of the tunnel. Let's call it like that. Dude, that's easy for me to say because I'm playing with the house's money, right? When it's your money and it's your life, it's really hard to do that. And so I think what you have to do is say, what's my organizing principles? What do I need to get organized? What do I need to be able to demonstrate to people? And and you need to demonstrate people are using the product, that they're going to buy more of the product, that they're recommending it to their friends. Um, and and it doesn't matter whether you have 100,000 in revenue or 200,000 in revenue. If that revenue is growing and people are sticking with it, then I think, and you have a financial model that says, if you give me three to $5 million, I, I really do not recommend people go raise small amounts of money from angels um, or from friends and family if you can avoid it. Um, but if you can go raise three to $5 million for Proofpoint um, and you know exactly what you're gonna do with a three to $5 million, that's that's very important. 
So you already mentioned the books. I'll not go there in case you have to add another one. But because I always ask your favorite productivity habit. Writing down three things on my desk uh, every morning uh, that I'm supposed to do and accomplishing one of them. Uh, so I literally think that you need to be focused on a daily basis on getting one thing done to feel like you uh, are making it. The other thing I try and do at least, I've been pretty good at almost doing it every day is I walk my dog and I take phone calls for an hour while I'm walking my dog without my computer turned on, just my headset and my dog. And I find that to be really productive because it forces you to listen. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Ted. That was very, very informative, at least for me. And I'm sure the listeners will enjoy. Just before going, I have a surprise rapid fire round. It'll be very easy for you. I'll just ask you this or that questions and then we go for it. Ready? Yeah. Tea or coffee? Tea. Windows or Mac? Mac. Ebooks or hard copy? Ebooks. A GUI or CLI? CLI. Are you a morning person or a night person? That's changed. If you had a time machine, would you like to travel in the past or in the future? The past. Okay. Which city do you like to travel to for business? London. Uh, which hotel chain is the best value for money? I have no idea. I like to stay in private clubs. Nice. Best Dreamforce and why? Best Dreamforce. Oh my God. I've been to so many of them. Uh, I think the Chatter Dreamforce. I won. Which one was that? The one they announced Chatter, Chatty? 13, 14, maybe? 2013, yeah, yeah. 2014. Like Facebook was yeah. getting really hot at that time when Facebook launched to the market and then they were like, we need to do something. Yeah. Yeah. Last question Can Google be dethroned? Sure. By themselves. Okay. Interesting. Thank you, Ted. That was really amazing. That was really nice. If people want to get in touch with you, is there a way? Uh, sure. Um, CEO at capato.com uh, is the best way to reach me. And uh, yeah. Make it important. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Ted. That was amazing. Have a nice day. Thank you.